the Saints came marching into Houston this week, and uh, the Texans sent them home from NRG with the L. We're going to talk about that and more on this edition of the bullpen. sweet victory how sweet it is to come to you this week with news with great tidings of great joy i know it's not october yet but i I, i'm feeling it right now the texans won um and contrary to what some people who have been um, interacting with me on twitter since the win feel um i am i am excited about this win i i feel like this is a great game to come away with the win in um now the reason people don't think i'm excited about it is is that the texans it was not the prettiest of wins and and I know people always talk about pretty wins and what ifs and like, you know, don't talk about that. Just enjoy the win. I'm just looking. I, I want this team to win as many games as they can. I'm just calling what I see. Um, and my and, and it, it's you know, it's an ugly win when my biggest takeaway as an optimistic person is negative. So uh, that's where I'll leave with this. Um, I just want your instant reaction from the game. Just coming coming out of this. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel like this is a team that's learning how to win and they're getting it done. They're finishing games. You saw instant improvement from the week prior. We're in a similar situation. They weren't able to put a stop together at the end of the game to close the game out uh, in their building, in front of their fans, loud raucous arena. They were able to shut down a very good Saints uh, team that was able to move the ball all game, but got the stops when they needed to get it. Uh, I love what I see from this team. I feel like they just finished probably the most difficult part of their schedule and they came away out of it, you know, in a good spot. Yeah. I, and before we get any further, I just realized um, for, for those of you listening over the airwaves, I'm James Roy and this is Tom Chavaria. Um, I said that one with my white voice. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but we're here to talk about Texans. We are the hosts of this bullpen podcast and we thank you for joining us. To speak to your point, I agree the toughest stretch of the schedule, it would seem, is behind us. There are some people that might disagree because of how they assess the Jaguars. Um, I personally would say the toughest matchup that we have, even with as bad as they've been early in the season, is probably the Bengals. Um, and so with this coming stretch, I think the Texans are in prime position coming out of the bye week if they can fix their issues to to really take that step and be – you know, it, go above 500 for the first time in 760 whatever days, 780 days. It's been a long time. Um, and, and yeah, just take that step. So uh, looking at the matchup, so that, since that's what we're here to talk about today, I, I agree with you that throughout the game, the Texans' defense showed up. They did their thing. They showed out, and they did enough. So that is, that is a big positive for me. Um, my, my big takeaway and the reason why my biggest takeaway was so negative is looking back at this Texans team or Texans teams of the past, um, there's been a couple of big things that always frustrated me that made really good Texans teams not take that next step, not be as good as they could be. One of them was not converting touchdowns in the red zone. I, you know, I, I've always tell you, I say it a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred more times, and I've said it a hundred times this season. That has been a big issue just, just these past two weeks. Early on in the season, I didn't have any reason to be worried about it, which is why I didn't talk about it, because the Texans seemed to be doing good in the red zone. And as of late, while they improved, 
if you consider going from 0% touchdowns in the red zone to 33% um, to be a, a solid percent, which I believe is the percentage, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, they converted one touchdown in the red zone. So um, I, I believe, or was it two? I can't remember that last one. I thought that last one came from just outside of the red zone. Either now, way, six of one, half dozen of the other. For me, scoring in, in the NFL is hard. Look around the league this weekend to see it if you need to see it. San Francisco undefeated, went into Cleveland and could not score, could not move the football, red zone issues, right? Uh, the Eagles, another team, played the Jets, could not score. Uh, Buffalo could not score. So scoring is hard. It's not, you know, the, the, the leagues of past where teams are running up and down the field, scoring tons of touchdowns. It's really hard to put points up. Even Kansas City struggling to put tons of points up. So for these Texans, if you're going to give me 21, 20 a game, I'm going to say that's probably that's probably a pretty decent number. I agree with you that it's a decent number, but I do think that what you said kind of drives my point home, that elite teams this week failed in the red zone, and that is why they lost. And the Texans, barring you know two missed Saints field goals, were going to be in the same position. And I know what everyone is thinking. Field goals aren't guaranteed. You know, the whole game changes if those two field goals are made, but there's no guarantee that on that last drive they make the field goal they would have taken. Um, and there's no guarantee that, you know, the game shakes out the exact same and that we're at a 20 to 19 deficit with the Saints driving. There's so many what ifs in that statement that it's almost really not worth talking about. But we watched the same game play out last week, essentially the other way where the Falcons took care of business, made those field goals, made those touchdowns, stayed, and they stayed ahead of the Texans for most of the game. And the Texans, you know, you know, succumbed to, to the Falcons and did not win that game. So I think that it's it's a valid comparison to look at those two situations. And the takeaway is, is that red zone scoring was the issue both times. The Texans defense was just enough to overcome it this specific time. Because if the Texans defense had stepped up against the Falcons on that last drive and stopped Desmond Ritter from going 80 yards, um, then we're not talking about this right now because the Texans would have won both weeks. Well, I'd still be talking about it because I, I, you know, red zone, that's one of my big things. The other big thing, uh, historically, the Texans have just been incredibly awful at is, oh, geez. And in this time we've been talking, you know what I did? I, I just, I've just had like a, a brain fart and lost that second point. So I'm going to try and get back to it. But, oh, geez. Um, no. Anyway, historically, the Texans have had a couple of things that hold them back from winning one of them being red zone scoring and the other one being oh ability to score late we we saw that fixed last week we well, we watched cj stroud do it but this week we we watched the texans get shut down in the second half and and so while the uh, the defense did too both teams scored three points in the second half it was an incredible showing defensively from both sides but that that also means that it was an awful showing offensively for the texans the Offense basically went quiet for most of the second half. There were some exciting plays, and and honestly, wh while I was watching the game, I didn't really feel the offense go dead. I just kind of had a couple of like, it's like watching the Astros in Game Two of the ALCS this year, where where you're like, oh they're oh they're almost oh they're almost, and then you realize, oh yeah, the bats are dead, and this game feels hopeless. Um, the difference is the Texans were up, and that is the only difference in those two situations, if you ask me. But so. That's why I, I, I hyper-focus on those things, and, and I hate sounding negative. I, I, I like to think I'm an optimistic person. I like to think, you know, going, what was it? I went all in on Davis Mills all last year. I was, I was talking him up like he was going to be 
the next Joe Montana. Like, like we had found our guy in the third round. And, you know, I, I, and I generally tend to do that, but it's just hard for me in these specific situations, kind of having Texans PTSD watching these games play out. And while we did get the win, we've done that in the past. We've had several games in the season where we get the win, and then at the end of the season that situation comes up and we don't come through because you, there's only so many times the, the coin toss flips your way before it flips the other way. But, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that I'm over – over focusing on this do you think that it's like time to move on i have to be fair at, at time of recording i have kind of moved on from it although you can't tell from the way that i'm talking about it i i let it out on twitter it's over i i'm i'm excited that we won but am i overreacting did i overreact i feel like it's an overreaction from the standpoint that there aren't expectations on this team i don't think yet they're they're ahead of schedule by by national media local media anybody you want to talk to they're ahead of schedule Nobody foresaw that the 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 quarterback of the future was going to show up and immediately be that guy at 22 years old. CJ Stroud was not supposed to be this good this fast. Not by anybody in the draft, whatever, not anywhere, any measurable, anything. Very good out of college. He went to Ohio State. There is a knock on quarterbacks out of Ohio State that they don't translate, you know, kind of like Duke with basketball players going to the NBA. And, you know, a lot of people were waiting and see it. Yes, he put up tons of numbers at Ohio State. Could he trans, Could he make that jump to the NFL with that same game? And I think he's gotten better. I mean, he made a play in that game. I don't know if we're going to get to breaking it down or not, but but to, to, to feed that ball into Robert Woods, you know, and look the, look the defense off. Dan Orlovsky, which I kind of don't, don't love, don't hate, I think it's interesting that he's the guy that's over here, the quarterback guru calling Texans it all out. legend, Dan Orlovsky. Exactly. When, when, <laughs> when he struggled to do himself, you know, I guess those that can't do teach, right? Uh, but You know how I feel about that. I've already spoken on that. Everyone who played quarterback in the NFL is a guru. Not everyone who is has had success. Not denying that they, they, they played at the highest level, but, you know, that's another discussion. True. And, and, and he's works at the at the big company, right? ESPN pays him to be that guy. However, he is gushed and gushed and gushed about CJ Stroud. And I'm here for it because he backs it up with video, he backs it up with film and he breaks it down. It's like, look, this is elite level processing, this is elite level quarterbacking, and for me, the guy just turned 22. That's that's the exciting part for me. A lot of this, yes, could they be better? Absolutely. CJ shows some some frustration on the sideline for the first time because they failed to do what he wanted to do with the football. And I think as he goes on, there, there's going to be a, a growing uh, a growing spurt, a growth spurt again for for things of this nature. You know what I mean? He's going to build on this. Yeah, but well, for that- people for people to go, hey, hey, he should he should be able to score in the red zone now. I'm like, ah. you know, well, I'm looking at the team as a whole, and and I guess. You know, both of us having had military experience, you understand what I'm talking about. So I'm I'm not going to act like that's not what I'm saying, because you you and I both know that our understanding of command and and leadership is is that you know CJ's on the field, it's his fault if they don't score, because he's the sure. he's the CEO of that offense, so he takes the blame anytime anything goes wrong out there. Um, but let's let's talk more about CJ because this game's st- from a statistical standpoint. And now I don't like using stats to gauge someone's greatness. We've seen it on the field. CJ looks great. 
and and aside from what the, which the stats tell the story too but you know I, I i am a stat guy i like looking at, at stats and trends and so t- some things that stood out to me about cj's game um he had 199 yards or 201 depending on how you factor those sacks and stuff and how they count against his passing i've seen it two different ways but a little bit of a, a season low for him um 48 completed completion percentage the first time i believe that he's been below 50 percent completion and personally to me 50 percent completion is just the bare minimum it's the benchmark um, i'm not going to fault him we won the game and that is one of those things where i i don't want to seem like i have a double standard but like i'll harp on them for red zone scoring and and you know general offensive output in the second half but as far as stats go if his completion percentage occasionally dips under 48 as long as they win the game that that, that really doesn't matter like i'm i'm not gonna but 50 percent to me is the bare minimum to gauge a decent quarterback performance and it's interesting that he's starting to show metrics in my eyes that that would would say on paper that the performance wasn't good even though we we both watched it, we know that he had a good game, um, and then two touchdowns, which I, I we will get more into that in a minute because I I agree with you that throw was sick and it should have been three should have been four. There was there was a couple of throws that CJ made that I thought were incredible, but um, we really what I want to start off with is that interception he threw, because I'll tell you personally if you had told me at, you know before, going in this game. Yeah, C.J. Stroud's going to throw his first interception of the year, but it's going to result in a Texans first down. I would have told you, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I wouldn't have questioned it. Like, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have registered in my mind how crazy that is that he threw an interception that was fumbled right back to him and now or right back to the Texans and then went down and scored a touchdown. But, I mean, how do you feel? How does it feel now? Because it feels like there's been all this buildup to, like, oh, C.J. Stroud, 170, 180, 190 throws without throwing an interception no how impressive now that's gone do you think the magic is gone or or do you think it's just like okay now that's out of the way he got his first pick cool he's ready to move on because that's how i feel i feel like this this takes a huge weight off his shoulders obviously it's being talked about in the media i'm sure he's aware of it it's it's something that you know i'm sure he got questioned about what do you think this and that so for him to get that out of the way because no one goes forever without throwing a pick. It's just not a thing you do. It's you know, defenses are good, mistakes are going to be made. It was going, it was bound to happen. Now he can just relax and play football. And you saw it. He came right back right after that short-term memory and went and pushed the ball down the field, scored a touchdown on that drive. You know, hit Nico on a crosser, which you know he might have been gun shy. He could have been gun shy, afraid to throw exactly. that afraid that a linebacker was going to, you know, undercut a route or something like that didn't phase him. He went right back to work. And that's the sign of a guy that is confident in his abilities, confident in what he's been coached to do and willing to go do what he needs to do to get a win. Uh, Super impressed with his poise, super impressed with his, uh, his willingness to make plays, uh, uh, extend plays. He took a little bit more punishment this game, you know, got sacked. Um, he was moving around late trying to extend plays stuff that we weren't seeing before, I think. And, and maybe that hurt his completion percentage a little bit because he started, you know, forcing stuff instead of, you know, hitting, hitting some checks, looking to push the ball down the field. I think that's great. I think that's part of the game. And the one thing that I think, needs to be talked about a, a ton is that the Saints are a top five defense. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to look at the record or not, 
you know, the numbers bear it out. They're very good, and they look very good. And they're tough against the run, so he knew it was on him to get it done. And he went out there and found a way. Now, his defense helped. I think that's huge. We, we, can, we can talk about that, too. Atlanta's a really good defense. He's faced a couple really good defenses and had his team in a position to win both games. If you go back three games ago, he torched the Jacksonville team. So while, while, while we're kind of critical of him a little bit, I think we should kind of take perspective of where he's at and what he's dealing with and how well he's handling all of it. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. I And, and I get, get caught up. And what it is is that in my mind, as the Texans continue to play well, the expectations rise. And so I, I, I guess it, I, so I don't want to say I'm thankful they lost to the Falcons or that all of this is happening. But I guess it's kind of putting in perspective for me that CJ is a rookie and that this isn't like a surefire team that's just going to go out and win every week. They're just capable of it. And so to, to, to expect them to just, as a young team, have it every week is, is unreasonable for now. Once they, once they get more of their, of their chemistry down and once it becomes more of an ex, it'll become more of an expectation in the future, possibly next season or maybe a season after that. Depends on how, how this season shakes out. But I was I want to focus on the the throws that CJ made that that weren't there and and I don't feel like they were CJ's fault um, mainly because so what I get out of it is so there's a throw to Dalton Schultz in the end zone dropped there's a throw where he you know drops back rolls back to the thirty yard line from like a first and goal or fourth and third and goal third and goal and throws it up and Bobby Trees is there but he's he trips and he can't get back to the ball and. And what I noticed after all of those, if you look on the sideline, there's video of CJ. He's talking to his receivers. He's constantly, he's constantly in Dalton Schultz's ear. He, he had Robert Woods over that next, you know, uh, defensive possession, talking to him. About, you know, and, and it, it seems like he's already taken on that role of trying, you know, getting on the same page and, and communicating as a leader to his guys. And I think that that is a super impactful thing. And it's, it's another trait we're seeing from CJ Stroud. That, that can lead anyone to believe that he is more than what we thought he was, depending on who you are. There are some people that will tell you that they always thought C.J. Stroud was this. Um, I'm not going to lie and act like I, throughout the draft process, knew that C.J. Stroud was going to be this good this quickly um, or really this good at all, um, You know, just as someone who was a Bryce Young guy. Thank God I was wrong. I, <laughs> I'll take that loss every time as long as the Texans are winning games. That's, that's what matters to me. But what what do you make of these? Do you, do you think that it just needs you know we are, we just spoke to it earlier? But do you think that it just needs more time for these receivers to get more in sync? Do you think I, I mean to some extent are they already in sync and it's just you know ironing out a couple of like loose ends? Like what is it? For me, I think it's a combination of a couple things. I think one, they're kind of in sync, but that's the 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 top of the skill level right now. Bobby Trees, Robert Woods is thirty one. He's on the other side of it, right? You look at some of these other guys. Nico, I think you're seeing what Nico can be, but do I think there's another level Nico can hit? Not really. Has he got like this huge separation thing? Not really. He's done well with one-on-ones, but I don't think he's going to turn into DeAndre Hopkins this season, by the end of the season, or something like that. Um, you're not throwing him jump ball, stuff like that. He kind of is what he is. I think he's a great two. I don't think he's the one. And if, I don't know that that's a hot take. Some people if, think if he Texans could be a one. the Texans went out and drafted a wide receiver, Nico Collins is 100% playing the T. Higgins, the Devontae, the Devontae Smith role. 
of wide receiver two that's really good. I kind of look at them to potentially sign one like a free agent. Yeah, I, I I think that's the route you go. I don't know that they want. I don't know that they want a guy that they need to groom. They've already got a couple of those: Tank, Mechie, Xavier Hutchinson. You you probably. How don't do you feel a- about like possibly pursuing, say, T. Higgins? T. Higgins is a guy who could possibly be like a free agent. I want to say, or maybe a trade target. My fear with what him the situation is exactly, but I know that he, that there's a lot of people that'd be interested to see them pursue him or Jerry Judy. Like, how do you feel about names like that? My fear with either of those guys is they're very brittle. Those guys are injured often. They need to go out, in my opinion, and get somebody that's uh, a little bit more durable. And I don't know who that is. Uh, well, here's a deeper question. So, with recent, so going into this season, I think the consensus in the Texans fan base was whoever, whatever we do with our first round pick, it's got to be wide receiver. And so now with with hindsight being 2020 and and we're six weeks in the season sitting three and three, getting solid wide receiver play from a group that had a high potential but was not proven. um, Do you think that that changes? Do you think that that there's a group? I I mean, personally, I would say that interior defensive line might be a deeper need than wide receiver. But how do you feel about it? Either one of the trenches for me, either one. Right now, I think the, the best thing the Texans can do is build within the trenches D'Amico's proven he can coach up guys off the line. I think uh, whether it be a linebacker, safety guy, that kind of deal, a secondary guy, I should say. And then you look on the other side of the ball. I really like what we have as far as Dalton Schultz, Brevin Jordan, Xavier Hutchinson, Tank Dell, John Mechie, and the next guy, whoever that may be. I don't. I don't think Robert Woods is long for this team. Obviously, if he wants to stay, I think we'll we'll have him because they've got a great chemistry, a great rapport. But I think the, he was a bridge guy to get to the next guy, whether it be a stud young draft pick, something like a Marvin Harrison Jr., which is my pipe dream, or to go out and sign someone like T. Higgins, like Jerry Judy, like Mike Evans, like whoever. Yeah. And then, and then you look at it and you look at, like, guys are talking about Brock Bowers, tight end out of Georgia. He just got injured, though. Um, I, I agree with you that tight end is not a position. Now, this brings up, we, we kind of briefly discussed this before the show, both on Twitter and, you know, just before we started this. But um, I, I put out a tweet uh, after the Horrible game. Horrible tweet. During, during the game, actually, I should say. Um, and the gist of it is, as I said, you know, I think the Texans run game, when it, when it goes well, when it's done right, can be really good. I just don't know if Damian Pierce is the RB1 in this situation. And now to clarify that statement, as I did to Tom earlier, um, and he still disagrees with me, but I'll clarify it for everyone viewing. Um, I, I, Devin Singletary has performed better in terms of yards per carry um, in, in a short sample, but I, don't, I still don't necessarily think that he is RB1 either. I, I don't think the Texans have an RB1 on the roster. I think that they need to make good use of the running backs they have and I think, you know, I complained about it a little bit during the game, but I think that it's probably one of the reasons that they're throwing wide receivers in the back is to mix scheme and, and create a little more confusion because of, of what we have in the running back room. Now, I'm a huge Damian Pierce fan, like his angry running. I think he definitely has a place on this team, um, but he might just be a specialized running back too that's situational. And and uh, the play calling dictated that. The play calling dictated, they ran most of the times by a large margin when Damian Pierce was on the field, he ran inside. And most of the times by a large margin when Singletary was on the field, he ran outside. So 
Um, I, 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 what is your problem with this statement? That's my question for you, Tom. It's a horrible statement, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And, and if I'm wrong, I, I invite anyone and everyone to come for me and explain to me how Damian Pierce is not the dude when given the opportunity. I think when you when you mentioned what you mentioned, when he's asked to run inside and the inside of the line is a weakness right now because they're, they're second, third string guys in there that aren't opening holes against superior run defenses then I don't know what you expect him to do. Two weeks ago, when Damian Pierce was was taking those outside runs against Atlanta, he was getting the same six- and seven-yard pops that Singletary was, who did not get a carry in Atlanta. So I, I, I struggle with where all of a sudden, and I say all of a sudden because last year no one was questioning whether or not Damian Pierce was an RB1 because he ran for almost a thousand yards in like eight games, and the guy runs angry, runs hard, is is not afraid to stick his nose in there. He's got great speed, great power. The only thing is, you it doesn't matter who you have, and and CMC can prove is, is proof to that because before he left Carolina, he could not get anywhere. He gets to uh, San Francisco, and they open up amazing holes for him, and he's the best running back in football. So I believe that when the trenches are solidified, when that offensive line is solidified, Damian Pierce is going to rip off hundred yard games, probably back to back. I mean, I, I see your point. So it, to, to prove your point a little bit, what looking through the past couple weeks, if you look at the Texans offensive lines, PFF scores, their passing PFF scores are going to be pretty high to average, um, at least serviceable. And their running PFF scores sit around 50 at the highest for most offensive linemen. There's a couple that are in the 40s, significantly lower. So offensive line play in the run game has been an issue. And um, the scheme that Slowick runs, he seems to have determined that he'd rather run Pierce up the middle and he'd rather run Singletary outside. And that does result in this disparity where Singletary has 4.8 yards per carry, is getting a larger carry share and is getting significantly more yards. Um, whereas, you know, Pierce in this last game was 2.8 yards per carry, which is unacceptable, significantly low, ideally three, you know, you need three yards per down to guarantee a solid, you know, offensive possession. That's about the minimum. So it's, I guess, more a frustration with his usage and the offensive lines inability to block for him. Um, but that being said, um, was the offensive line good at run blocking last year? The scheme was more conducive to him running. I'll give you that. But were we playing with significantly better offensive linemen last year? Because if so, then, I mean, by process of elimination, we're just saying that the scheme's not conducive to Damian Pierce. And and I'll tell you this personally. um, I I, I guess I can back off. He could be an RB1 in the right scheme. But, I mean... I agree with the Texans' decision to prioritize a great offensive play caller and a great offensive scheme that's going to work for the Texans over fitting an offensive scheme around a running back because, you know, looking at the running back position, this brings up a discussion. This is not fun to say because, you know, it kind of enforces everything that all running backs hate about running backs in the NFL. But, I, you know, if even if Damon Pierce is doing well, he's headed for like a Jonathan Taylor-type situation where the the Texans – 
at year two or three because he was drafted in the fourth round. Um, have to make a decision if they want to extend him or not because he's going to threaten to sit to get his money because if he doesn't get it before the end of his first contract, he's now at his fifth year. He's got one or two more useful years where he is in his prime. And then it's decline, and the Texans don't want to risk putting a lot of money into a guy who, if he's injured for literally one year, is now worth significantly less than he was before he signed the contract. So with that in mind, the running back is not the position you build an offense around. The Texans could, in the second or third round next year, um, probably find a decent guy. They could probably find a decent running back in, I don't want to say in any draft at any time, but like the just like offensive line, you know, picking up offensive linemen later in the draft, the value on running back is, is not there unless you've got a guy like Bijan, like Saquon, guys that go first round. And Najee Harris was a first round pick. He's not showing that value right now. And the, the risk is too high on that. And so that's why, to go back to the beginning of this discussion about draft, like the Texans probably, in my mind, based off of scheme, have a need at running back. But, that, I mean, it's not like a first-round pick, you know, SOS, address it now. I think I think Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary together could be serviceable for the next year or two, depending on, on how they want to do it. Or if maybe Tank or Hutchinson steps up and plays that running back weird Debo role that Slovak wants to enforce well. I mean, what do you think? I think Tank has no business doing it. He's too small. Mm-hmm. I like what they did with Hutchinson because he looked a lot like Debo running similar uh, run plays at, from, from from the wide, wide receiver position in this last game. Totally like what I saw using Xavier, Xavier Hutchinson. Bigger, uh, <coughs> stronger wide receiver, able to lay his hat on somebody, able to take a shot and not end up injured. I totally disagree with you, though, with the premise that they need to go replace Damian Pierce or they need to go, you know, probably not invest in him because when when this offense becomes whole, and, and I think it will under C.J. Stroud, the, the, the holes that he's going to see, the, the, uh, the chances that he's going to get, where right now teams are daring the rookie to beat them, and it's not proving out. They keep waiting for him to have that rookie game where Damian Pierce is the known commodity. You're seeing teams still stack the box against Damian Pierce. And the one thing that I want to point out that I think kind of lends to why his yards per carry are so low, he's running in obvious running downs, in obvious formations, where you look at a guy like Singletary, which not not to take anything away from him, He's running in, you know, second and short, third and short, where you, you're you going against maybe nickel, maybe dime, as opposed to a 3-4, 4-3 base defense where they're, they're stacked up to stop the run. Um, I do believe Damian Pierce is going to rip off some big runs before it's all said and done because teams are going to have to start respecting what CJ's doing. Teams are going to have to play more nickel, play more dime, and commit more secondary help because if not, he's just going to keep picking teams apart. And I think the the exception is a team like the Saints, is a team like Atlanta, because they have a good secondary and they're able to do really good in the trenches. Most teams aren't going to have that. So they're going to have to make a commitment. All right, do I want to stop Damian Pierce? Do I want to stop that running back by committee? Or do I want to focus on stopping C.J. Stroud and this now very, very efficient offense? 
and all that being said, that tweet was definitely um, an overreaction. We're six weeks into the season, but I do agree. I think that the, the issue at hand, and you know, I think when it'll really be time to hit the panic button, because like I said, I think that Singletary and and Pierce can be serviceable for at least the next year or two, and and maybe longer depending on how it pans out. But the big thing that's going to determine it is is that when the offensive line decides to start run blocking well, can he take advantage of it? Because the scheme's not going to change. He, it, it, I, I don't imagine that Bobby Slowick is is watching us talk about this or watching Texans Twitter talk about his usage or is observing it and going, I need to adjust this right now. Um, maybe he is. He's a smart guy. He worked at PFF and, you know, has been around football for his whole life. So uh, maybe he's analyzing that and he's going to start seeing that trend. But if if this continues and the scheme's not going to change, it's just going to be a matter of can Damian Pierce make those holes. And, and another thing about Pierce is, is that on the runs where he did get the opportunity in open space, um, there was a lot of times where he sought contact on plays where he, if he had avoided it, which is not usually what you're supposed to do, but you know, on plays where if he had made the right cut or had, and, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at it from a Madden, you know, game perspective. So like, I don't have the same view as him. Maybe he didn't see the hole I did. I'm not going to fault him for that. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it looks like from outside looking in as someone who has never played running back in the NFL and probably has no right to say this, um, that Damian Pierce, even when he gets open into open space, seeks contact, which hinders his yards per carry. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So I, I don't think anyone's arguing that because he's an angry runner. He likes he likes the contact. That's how he, how he got his name. That's why he got angry run of the year at the NFL. Um, what was that award show they did? I don't know. They did like some end of year award show. I don't think it was the MVP award or the same as that. But either way, that I think that's enough talking about running backs. I don't know. Do you agree? Yeah. The only thing I'd like to mention, if you if if there was a scenario where a running back needed to be part of that scheme, where he's looking for a guy that that can catch out of the backfield and be that violent runner. I think that's where maybe you see them get away from Damian Pierce because to this point, while they've thrown him the ball, he's not been a guy that you could flex out wide and use, you know, to run slants and things of that nature. They've done that a lot with Singletary. They've not done that so much with Pierce. Uh, yeah, he's done a little, you know, bubble route from the backfield, but not where you could push him out wide and use him as a receiver. Well, and Pierce doesn't even have a touchdown pass. Singletary has one of those. So, like, game over <laughs> well <coughs> sorry sorry um on that note um do we, do we have any final thoughts on this texan saints game before we ride off into the bye week with our 500 record and contemplate the great great things that the texans can accomplish the rest of the season the one thing i would like to point out the one thing that i took from the game that was a negative that i think I will chalk up to inexperience was the last drive that the Texans had the ball. Texans had the ball with like four minutes left or something like that. And I want to say they went three and out. They did not use the clock properly. I mean, part of me understands the logic, right? Uh, D'Amico was showing great faith in his quarterback going, all right, go get us a first down, go, go salt this game away where if he was trying to, probably make it that much more difficult because they had a seven-point lead, 
you run the ball and you kill the clock, you make them use their timeouts, that sort of thing. Uh, they're 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 throwing the ball three and out type deal. Gave New Orleans a chance to make that last drive. I I I, I know kind of minor, but something that you would hope that they would you know correct over time, where it's not a repeat offense going, no, 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 we're, we're going to do this again, you know, make those guys work with as little, little time as they can, little timeouts as they can so that their, their options are fewer. I mean, other than that, I I'm really excited about this team. I'm really excited about where they're going. Can't wait to see what DraftKings does with CJ Stroud and some of these guys going against Carolina looking excited two weeks from now to play that game. So we'll see. <laughs> all right all right well um uh, my final thoughts are it's time to move on from the negative we've we've established that the team is flawed um i think you put it best it is a rookie quarterback is also a rookie head coach a rookie center a rookie 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 um is really a good way to sum it up so um like i said uh, you know it's time to move on we've won be happy that we beat the Saints um, and look forward to going to Carolina for the clash of the one and two overall pick a, a matchup that I'm I've been that that so far this season of all the matchups that we've had the Jaguars one was the one I was the most hype about but now like preseason not knowing what CJ was this matchup was one that I was like oh this is going to be good and so even though the Panthers are 0 and 6 uh, right now uh, I'm I'm hyped to see that matchup. But this this has been the bullpen. Um, I've been James Roy. That's been Tom, my my trusty co-host. And uh, you know we love talking Texans football, and we'd love it if you guys could give us some feedback, comment, you know, like, subscribe if you like it, um, and you know give us a listen on on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or check us out on YouTube. Um, my socials are at M1 Texans fan, and that's also how you can find the YouTube channel. Um, and then Tom is, is third coast Tom on Twitter or X, depending on how you, how long you've been on the app. Um, <laughs> and until next time, um, stay classy, Houston H town till I drown over and out.